We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. DOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black in Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black. Talking money, investing, and more. Investing. Joining me today is CFP Chad Burton. If you have any questions, 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. One of the things I thought we would do today is, you know how Spider-Man has an origin story? Superman has an origin story. Yep. Comes from Krypton, not Krypton, and wrapped in a blanket. And sent to Earth to be mankind's savior. <laughs> right, right. Lands in a field. The Kents find him. Doesn't really want to be a superhero, but he has these powers of a god on Earth. Due to the sun. I thought we'd do your origin, your origin story. Uh, all right. No, it's pretty, it pretty much the same thing. Pretty much. <clears throat> what is your background? What, as far as how did you get into financial planning? Uh, well. What was I, the moment that you turned it on and said, I'm going to do this? I was trying to think of the actual moment. Basically, what it was is I was going to uh, Portland State University. My grandfather had just left Washington Mutual. Okay. He was working as, uh, they called them investment counselors back then, which I don't even think is a, a legal term now. No, I would doubt but it. people at banks that back then mostly sold annuities, right. got into mutual funds and things like that. They called them investment counselors. They do everything from CDs to annuities, mutual funds. Um, and he was going through this tail end of this savings and loan crisis where okay. he used to joke that he'd have to look up at the clock to see the name on the clock, okay. you know, how those clocks are outside the bank. Sure. So that's how he'd have to answer the phone. I, I don't I don't know where I'm working today, but now it's Washington Mutual. So that was late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, yeah. And so he the last the, the final two mergers that he went through, his pension just got destroyed. Okay. Gone essentially, you know, horrible lump sum rollout, got fed up, so he decided to take his clients with him. Okay. And he was... And working at a bank, that can't be easy. Um, You know what? It was it was actually pretty good. I mean, it was... Okay. You have... For, for the annuity type of clients, um, back then, interest rates were really high. Right. So you could lock people up in a fixed tax-deferred annuity for 6% guaranteed for 5 to 10 years. Sure. Pretty good stuff. They were good products. Back then, annuities were actually attractive products because capital gains rates were at 
So, you know, people liked to defer their taxes, especially in Oregon where they had state and federal taxes. So, um, you know, and he was really a sales guy. I mean, he was really good at sales. He walked into a room, he could talk to anybody. Okay. Um, I was a numbers geek. I was majoring in engineering and math. Mm. So I liked my spreadsheets. Might have been wise going to engineering. <laughs> no, I'm really happy. I mean, if, as I as I went through engineering, and I, I just couldn't just picture myself in front of a computer screen all the time. So what point did you say, I'm going to make a career out of being a salesperson, if you were following your grandfather? Well, what I had to do is my freshman year in college, I had to end up getting licensed okay. um, because I was talking to people about their accounts. So legally, I had to get licensed. So my freshman year... I got licensed, and then we started doing really, really well because I organized the office, um, got everything going, and just fell in love with it because there was a lot of numbers involved. There's a, a lot of analysis. I had to really learn how to talk to people. I mean, Rob, you and I met, what, 17 years ago now? Yeah. You remember when you asked me at the, out of the blue when you first met, hey, you want to talk today at the seminar? And there's like 250 people there in Portland. I'm like, no way. Um, I couldn't talk. I couldn't stand in front of people or do a radio show or anything like that. And so my grandfather really actually told me how to build relationships with people. But I, I just quickly learned that I didn't like the sales side of financial planning still. Maybe it's my generation. When I just don't you, like salespeople. When I met you 17, 18 years ago, mm -hmm. how much experience did you, did you have? Um, let's see. I started in 93. So okay. I, was still, I was already a certified financial planner About when I met years. you. And what I did was I, um, I found a professor at Portland State that knew what a CFP was. So I was able to use all my business electives to, get, to go through the CFP program. Um, and I was wrestling there, so it was kind of great. I would go home, do all my studies through the CFP program, go to practice and work. Um, didn't have much of a college life, though. I'll tell you that. Okay. <laughs> Portland State's a city college, so it's like uh, I was working and, and doing all this stuff already. I just loved the business. So when I met you, um, I was a registered investment advisor, and I was doing a national radio show. Yep. And, uh, what, was, what, what were you doing? Working at a bank? Working for an insurance No, company? we were independent. We were with a broker-dealer. Okay. So in an independent office, um, we were still, I had started um, a fee-only practice a couple of years before I met you, where I was looking at this this commission-based world. I didn't like it. Um, so, but you can't just go from, you know, zero to 100% fee-based because you're, you're managing accounts and you're charging annual fees and you got to get the word out there. So it was really a great thing for me because I was able to have this other business that I had with my grandfather to you know, put food on the table, pay for college, while I was building up this other fee-based uh, practice. And what fee means is people don't work on commission; they charge annual fees or hourly fees to do your financial planning. And then, yeah, you and I met, and that story is pretty funny. Where was was there a split? Because ultimately, I wanted to get out of the investment advisory business, or uh -huh. I, wanted, I wanted to get into the financial planning business. Because investment advisory, it's like a hedge fund. There's thousands and thousands of them, and there's not really a lot of difference between them. And yeah. Financial planning, you get to hold people's hands and talk to them and talk about their goals and mm -hmm. tell them that they need to work another three or four years. Whereas when you're managing a portfolio, you're managing a portfolio. At what point did you leave the – see, I, 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 I'm vague in memory on this. At what point did you say, like, hey, I'm going to you know, hitch my ride to Rob Black and understand that he can market and I can you know, execute? And yep. I was building a lot of clients. I had a good client base out of uh, seminars that I was doing, those dinner seminars that people still get – invitations to the steak dinner thing 
I'm so I was I was one of the original people doing those, and that actually worked really, really well yeah, back we, then. Now people are steak seminared out, and we just don't do those anymore. No, go to Walnut Creek, and there's you can get a free steak basically any day of the week. There was people that started doing that. I, I had somebody come to a steak dinner seminar, and my husband isn't feeling well. Can I get his steak to go? Awesome. <laughs> and basically what you're talking about is, they do this now with Comcast, uh, cable television. You could target a zip code right, and, and you know send out a thousand things to Palo Alto, a uh, thousand emails, or not emails. <laughs> I'm modernizing it. A thousand postcards saying, you know, you have to RSVP, a nice steak right. dinner. Um, you get the tickets, the fancy tickets in the mail, and here's your ticket to the event. Now, who did you Golden do that? ticket. Who did you do that with? Did you have a marketing company? Did you? Because you can't figure that out yourself, a golden market. Ticket. Yeah. No, no, I mean, I, I got. A, um, I went to a whole thing. This thing was called Emerald back then, and I did a lot of... Uh, um, instruction on how to publicly speak. Okay, a lot of a lot of that, and then they had a a program for you know buying the zip code and things like that. So it was it was good. I mean, and then you know you and I met, so we obviously changed marketing. And you threw me into radio. Yeah, and I, for better or for worse. <laughs> we should do a we should do a throwback steak dinner. Just, we should just to have for poops and giggles. So. <laughs> Because I can't imagine. I, I, you have to imagine people are savvier now. Oh, like a good steak at a hotel, right? Those are always top notch. Are people savvier now? Is it tougher to get a client, or is it not tougher, but is it more? I think people are more educated. Steak seminar out. I mean, yeah. I, I, I think people. It's good that people know that that there's something in it for the person feeding me a steak dinner. Oh yeah, yeah. So, and I was always. I mean, even back then, I, I did not like sales. So I've always run things very educational. You want to use me? Use me. If you don't, you learn something. Yep. With that being said, we're doing the origin story of CFP Chad Burton. I want to get into some of the things that you've seen out there. I've seen some crazy stuff. I've yeah. seen millennials watch their parents implode financially. I've seen families, you know, get decimated because of, you know, $10,000. We'll talk a little bit more about it and what makes us tick and what pushes us forward, what we see, what type of people are doing things well, and the type of people that are failing and why. If you want to get your calls in there, it's 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Call the show, 800-516-1220. Find me on Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM twelve twenty KDOW. <laughs> Welcome in, Rob Black and Your Money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Doing a little origin story with CFP Chad Burton, uh, why he got in the business, how he got in the business, when he made his big break from going from one side of the business to the other side of the business. I think one of the things that, you know, talking to you like this... It was my grandfather. (laughs) It kind of was your grandfather. It was absolutely my grandfather. For me, and I don't want to make this all about me, but for me it was this just, I wanted a career that wasn't based in the now, but that had more of a bigger thing around it. Right. Um, Like, I'm glad I don't sell mortgages, because once you sell a mortgage, you're in, you're out, and you got to sell another mortgage. 
Right. There's nothing wrong with selling mortgages. But you do a lot of work, and then you get paid, and you do a lot of work, and you get paid, and you wait, and you do more work. Right. So I think financial planning was one of those careers that, you know, you build a business, and it, it kind of is a house that is structured around you, and it does a good job. Yep. Um, so you got in because your grandfather. I got in because of I wanted more financial security, and I wanted my hard work to go somewhere. Yeah. Um, for some of our listeners out there, would you recommend becoming a financial planner? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've got to be patient on the career track. Okay. Um, and I would say that a lot of times the bigger firms will have a career track in terms of getting you licensed, getting you education for the certified financial planner designation. Um, but there is a real shortage, Rob. I mean, the industry is really struggling right now with younger associate advisors that you bring up through the ranks. You go associate advisor. A lot of times you start as a paraplanner, then associate advisor, a lead advisor, and a senior advisor. And you get to the senior advisor level, money's great. Your compensation can be based on overall firm revenue, so you share in the growth of the business. There's, There's a lack of younger people going into the business right now. We've been talking about it in industry groups a lot lately. The question on that is, though, is that because it's tougher for younger people to get clients in the sense of, I think when you and I got into the business, there was a lot of Generation Xers who trusted Wall Street because they saw some of the wealth that was being created. That's what it is. I don't think it's a matter of they're afraid to get clients. I think it's just the, the trust around Wall Street, the what the credit crisis did, what you know the banking issues, hearing about these billion-dollar settlements almost on a weekly basis with a new bank, right? Controlling the LIBOR rates, you know, it's it's just it, it has a different persona now out there, and, and and the millennials tend to not trust it. They tend to think that nobody needs a relationship with a planner; they're just going to do it online. Is that adequate? Is that fair? Can um, you do it online? You can to a certain extent. Okay, but there's points where, I mean, some of these online services when there's a market correction. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're gathering assets fast. They're not profitable. And when there's a market correction, they have a mass exodus of assets um, or a lot of phone calls when they have very, very small back offices actually running this thing. Right. Um, these, some of them could implode. And then when you get to the point, okay, so you're saving your first $250,000. Most young people max out your 401k, max out a Roth IRA, uh, you know, some term life insurance, disability insurance. That gets most people to 40-ish. But then you start getting a lot of stock options, a lot of ESPPs, dealing with tax issues, uh, strategies to not only you know get into the market but also reduce risk, estate planning, what to do with college. Those types of things you can't just get out of an online kind of robo-advisor relationship. So there's always going to be a need for certified financial planners. Um, I do like these online services because they will cultivate people that learn how to save and make it easy for them. Right. Investing is almost free compared to when I got into business. Let's talk about this. The other it could day. be done for free for sure. Yeah, I mean, it was average mutual fund fee was one and a half percent. Yeah. In 1993, and now ETFs you can buy transaction free ETFs. Just look at TD Ameritrade site. A whole huge list Vanguard ETFs that you can get on there. iShares, uh, seven tenths of one percent, and as long as you hold them for a certain period of time, there's no transaction fee. It's free almost. I mean, it's 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 really really easy. And it's hard to make mistakes when you're 20, 30-something. As long as you're buying broad-based indexes and continuing to save, what do you, think about some you of the will apps? do really well. What do you think about some of the apps that are just kind of a little bit different? There's one that I know that with your debit card if you or your credit card, if you go out and buy a cup of coffee at Pete's Coffee for $4.50, it'll just round it up to $5 mm-hmm. and put $0.50 cents into savings for you. 
It's a great way to build up your safe money reserves, I think. Okay. As long as you just don't look at that account. Why? Because when people look at it and then they, you know, they're walking through IKEA in that maze. Yeah. You know, oh man, I really need so that hideaway the- bed. You know, <laughs> and then they save their safe money or there's, spend their safe money. There's a key inside of Chad Burton. You walk around IKEA. Oh, I haven't been to IKEA in a while, but I really need to go. I, if you go to my house, I mean, you've been there. It's like we moved in June, and we got we. I didn't like our dining room table, so we still have folding chairs on our dining room table right now. It's it's not not pretty. I'm a minimalist. Yeah. I mean, the two cars that my wife and I have combined have over three hundred thousand miles on, which I think is great. Yeah. Um, that's something that I. Of course, you look at my boat, and it's a little different story. Someone that is, someone that's close to me yesterday said he wants to buy his wife a nice car to reward her for all of her hard work. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, reward her with a two-year used car, not a brand new car. But we still live in a society of, like, a new car is better than a used car, and I'm going to reward. I, th- I just thought the word reward shows financial stupidity. Yeah, reward with a depreciating asset. Yeah. yeah. So it's not- now, a really nice piece of jewelry, if you can afford it, that will appreciate over time. I mean, there's a, a great blog that we have at New Focus Financial Group or NewFocusFinancial.com on some of the collectibles and, and different things that have gone up in value a lot, such as art. Which I think is, you know, I, I think that's got a place in the investment world, mm-hmm. um, especially if you've got an eye for it. But like if, I've always said, don't buy like a $400, um, you know, Macy's watch, buy a $4,000 Rolex. Because the Rolex is going to hold some value. The yeah. $400 watch is going to... Watch has been go. unbelievably good in terms of appreciation in the last 20, 30 years. There's a company that does uh, watches, mm-hmm. and they basically do it for like luxury resorts and boutique stores. And uh, they think, uh, analysts think that they're going to basically go down the moment Apple comes out with their watch. See, I don't, I don't... Because Apple will never be Rolex, but it could get the middle of the market pretty easily. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was, you know... I don't know. I, I'm not in. A, I'm not going to be any kind of a rush to go out and get an iWa- an Apple Watch. Yeah. Um. I haven't worn a watch since I've had a cell phone. Okay. I, don't, I just, you know, I'm just afraid I'm going to break it or something else. I've got two watches that people have given me. They're just sitting there, and they're not expensive watches. One was a knockoff watch that my dad got when he was in his travels, you know, in China or something like that. It's it's a fake version of it, but he thought it was cool, so he got it. Okay. But um. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's actually a good article on Bankrate.com about um, wealthy people being frugal, and and the things that I've seen over my career is consistent savers, people that are frugal, people that start a business, people that invest in in cash flow positive real estate. I've never really met somebody that constantly flips, right? That's maintained their wealth throughout their time. They 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 tend to go through the bubbles, go from very much feast to famine periods. The people that I see that try to make that try aggressively to educate themselves and learn about making money in real estate, mm-hmm. typically they're poor people or mentally stupid. Um, and they're just trying to hit a home run. Right. Look like for that silver bullet. They'll they'll pay $10,000 to go to that trading academy thing. So. Is it a silver bullet or is it a magic bullet? Silver because they can kill werewolves too. <laughs> Which is what people want when they buy real right. estate. Right. CFP Chad Burton, you can find them at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. Oh.
Listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW on the iHeartRadio app. I'm Rob Black, joined by CFP Chad Burton. I'm lucky enough to call him a friend and a business associate. Um, super top notch human being. He's a CFP. I wanted to talk a little bit about, like, again, his origin stories because I think we all kind of can relate to, like, how did you get in the business? Like, did you see yourself going? It's like, I know people who were marine biologists and then they found out you had to put animals down. And they're like, I can't do this. Like, I would have been a vet, you know, but at age 12, I realized they're going to put animals, they're going to put animals to sleep. I'm like, I can't do that. Like, I would cry every day. Um, I literally fell into the business as an analyst and as a researcher. And one of my first bosses, I've got two great boss, bad boss stories. One of them was like, you should be like me and wear Italian suits and Italian shoes and my Italian watch. And I decided to wear a sweater vest for one straight year after that because I just hated the jerk. Like it was so disgusting. Sweater to me. vest. I was I was smarter than him. I knew how to invest better than him. And he had this this thing that you know it's all about the presentation. Like there's a guy on the radio. Um, his name rhymes with flow. His offices marble. They're gorgeous. They're decadent. Um, you know, glass chandeliers and things like. That. And uh, to me, I'm like, that doesn't show success. That shows that you. Make a lot of money off clients, then put it into a building, and like, right. I'm not, I'm not about the show. So okay, that, that was one boss that taught me don't be about the show. Is, is that the same one that said God told him how to pick his? Yeah, no, that's the second one. Oh, okay, okay. So I left that area for Washington D.C. and uh, started, you know, just working for a guy, in small firm. I went from big firm to small firm, and this guy, um, fantastic story. At one point in time, you know, stock market was rolling. This is the early '90s. Uh, comes into my office and says, you know, I, I don't need you to help me pick stocks because God helps me pick stocks. So I wrote the two-week, I resigned two weeks letter and I talked to my desk mate. And I was like, let's start a company. Like, I can't do that. I can't jump from firm to firm. to. Firm. I need something more practical. Um, so when he said God, and I was like, you know, God does a lot of things. But I look at, I look at, like, God is two places. You respect him in church and you respect him on a football field. <laughs> I was like, just about to say God doesn't score touchdowns, but there you go. <laughs> I I hope the 49ers win the Super Bowl this year, and I hope when I pass that there is a God. Like that's I don't think there's a place on stock, the stock market, Wall Street. Like I hope Cisco goes up. You damn well better have a plan if you're putting your hard-earned money into an investment. Yeah. Um. So those are my two worst boss stories. Oh, and wait, the best part about that is, uh, so I quit his firm, and he was an investment advisor, and I started my own investment advisory firm, and. Eventually, I come to the West Coast. You know, I hook up with you. But um, probably six years ago, he called me in the middle of the night crying. He was in Long Beach. He had some sort of um, uh, Moonies religious group. Oh, you're kidding. They're still around? Oh, yeah. And he was definitely tired. Those are the people that will, like, they'll, they'll, they'll grab you, take, them, take you to an event, and feed you nothing but carbs like, he, for days. He was involved. in your mind. He was involved in that. And, like, <laughs> oh, my gosh. He said a lot of things on there. Like he was in radio. He inspired me to go into the radio angle. But um, he's like, "Yes, I've come to, from the land of where you can hear a one man, cl- uh, a one armed man clap." I'm like, <laughs> "What?" Like, <laughs> oh, but he called me in the middle of the night and uh, he asked for money and he started crying. 
it, you know, the money is like, oh, it's so good to see that you've done well, Rob. It's so good to see that you've done well. And uh, then it gets into the money, and then it gets into the crying, and then it gets into he's lost everything, his wife, his kids. Then it gets yeah. into the F you, screw you, you know, I made you. And I was just like, sorry, dude, but don't call here again or I'll call the police. Wow. Um, so that's my, my boss story. How about you? You got any good... And it doesn't have to be people you want, like people you see at conferences. Uh, anything like, just tell our listeners who the horrible people are out there. And you uh, don't have to man. name names. <laughs> well, I, I haven't had horrible bosses ever because okay. I've had three jobs. Okay. I was a busboy. <laughs> and then I, I, while I was getting my insurance license for a couple of weeks, I worked at a gas station, but I quit because the guy didn't like it when I was studying in between cars. He wanted me to like, scrub the cement or something. Right. And that was, that was going to be a short-lived job anyways, and then I've, I've been doing this ever since. Okay. So through college, after college, everything else. Like a the, the toughest story was when you know, I, w- I had started my other business, the fee side, the, uh, you know, where we charge hourly fees and annual fees to, to manage clients' money to build up this business because I was looking at my grandfather's business and I'm like, you know, he was 67 at the time we started working together. All of his clients were at least 10 to 15 years older than him. And we were doing fine but I, I just saw the writing on the wall. I tried to talk to kids. and It was neighborhood bank. The kids didn't have any money. They were waiting for their parents to die to, to get the money so they could spend it. So I was really looking at a dying business. And the toughest thing that, that I had to go through with my grandfather is as I set up this other business. And there's that one point when I started working with you is that his his succession plan was like, okay, if I pass away, you need to pay 40% of your gross income to your grandmother. And he presented that to me over lunch one time out of the blue. And I said, I can't do that. I mean, here's, this is your business here. Here's the age of your clients. It's already going away. I'm starting a family. I'm getting married. I can't, you know, I'm always going to take care of my grandmother, but I can't sign something saying I'm going to give X a percentage of my gross income. Right. And to me, that was a big wake up call to create a business that wasn't just, you know, counting just on me. That's why I find really good CFPs to work with, certified financial planners that, that, you know, I, I train in terms of strategy, in terms of retirement income, um, and we all work together as a team so that it's a business that works well with or without me so right. that it could be, you know, sold to my employees later on, sold, merged, whatever. And and that's what business owners really need to think about is the best businesses are the ones that you create that can run with or without you. That means you've actually created a business instead of a job. And, and there's a book called The E-Myth out there that I think Anybody that's a business owner should read. So I was asking about worst bosses, and you kind of said it was your grandfather. No, you know, he was a great, great guy. <laughs> he kind of did when he put you in the, the, that, it was just the, the mafia deal. That was the toughest. So when I go away, you're going to pay him, your grandmother 40%. <laughs> that's pretty good. No, he was the sweetest guy on the planet. I mean, great, great guy. Um, but have you found I, I did learn a lot of what not to do, especially okay. on the real estate side. From who? From my grandfather. What did he do wrong in real estate? He's just timing was so bad, and it wasn't anything he did. It was just really bad. And the worst thing that that they ever did was uh, sold a home in Portland to go into a um, 55 and older park that they thought was a great idea okay. until a rock quarry went behind them. <laughs> that was that was tough. So it was tough to see him. I, I saw some of the houses that he I'll be fair. He owned in Portland in areas that are really really high end now that okay. he sold too early. Which but that's that's where they, the the term that's the moral of the story yeah sold too early yep Real if you trade houses spouses or cars too often you will be broke when you when you get older that's a great line and it puts some perspective in it for people like I've had some real estate that I bought incorrectly 
but I was patient with it. Cash flow positive. It's worked out over time. Yep. Um, you know, the current home that I'm in, I was scared out of my mind buying six years ago. And now that it's gone up half a million dollars, I'm like, woohoo! Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I'm also honest enough to say it may not be there. It may stay there for the next 25 years. It may never go up again. Right. And that's the way I look at real estate. Is very possible. It's very possible, and I'm okay with that. Because when you have an associate that she put a bid on a house for $1.2 million in Burlingame. For 1,500 square feet. 1,500 square feet, and it went for $1.7 million. And, you know, we're just having that conversation because even my planners down here, when they're just surrounded by Bay Area real estate versus my planners in our Northwest yeah. office, I'm like, okay, what can you rent for? Yeah. Go buy two or three homes in the Northwest, rent them out for positive cash flow so you still own real estate, so you're still building equity, and rent here. But even renting the, here, the is, buying market right now is cash, basically. So that, that's you know, how that's long is that going to last? On a one point seven million dollar home for fifteen hundred square feet, you can't fit. You could fit a mom and dad and one kid in. Yeah, you're not going to fit two kids in that. No. So who's going to buy your house for one point seven million? That's going to be about you know seven hundred thousand dollars of income mm-hmm. needed to to afford that. Um, and still pay for food and vacations and things like that. Seven hundred thousand? I wouldn't say that much, but <laughs> I would. So, start doing the math. I mean, it depends on how much money you put down and such. And yep. I mean, the property taxes on that in California—that's going to be at least at least twenty thousand dollars a year. Yeah. Um, which is more than you know most people in the Pacific Northwest or other parts of the country pay in a mortgage. Yeah, and then people get into this thing. Well, oh, it's all—it's a write-off, anyways, and. But in California, if you have a certain amount of property taxes and state income taxes and things like that that throw you into AMT, you end up paying a higher, just a flat tax. AMT is when people do their tax return, it's, it's, the software does it two ways. The normal way where you take your itemized deductions and here's the tax that you owe. Or the AMT way, which is throw all those out and here, just pay this flat tax. So I'm not getting a worse boss out of you. Um, no. Is there anyone that you've seen at seminars? And it could, it could be any of the brokerage houses. Where you're just like, this guy is clearly trying to shark me and screw people at the same time. But when when I was building the business and I outsourced my back office and and stuff, I mean, you, you know the story of the, I know him, yeah. <laughs> of the of the uh, company that I mean, the guy is it was this actually, is dad's business. He inherited. He, he didn't know how to run it. Yeah. He did a bunch of stuff to try to squeeze extra money out of people in a really bad way. And I fired him, and then he later got fined a million dollars by the SEC. And, and we things, all laughed. And some of the things he did, like he said, was just try to squeeze profits out of any possible scenario. Right. And, and you know, I'm trying to run a fiduciary-based business, and I don't need people like that around at all. What I didn't like about him was he tried to be your best friend. Right. And then you know he'd say, I'm going to give you a discount on this, when it really wasn't a discount. No, no. I'm going to charge you only 50 cents a share to trade. I'm only going to charge you 10 bucks a trade. We're, we're only paying Fidelity 8 or 9. But yeah. We'll charge you 10. Exactly. With that said, CFB Chad Burton, if you have any questions, drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. It's rob at robblackshow.com. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. It's newfocusfinancial.com.
Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black, trying to get you to retirement. That's my goal. Trying to get you to enough money so that you can live with some sort of dignity in retirement. Unfortunately, many Americans are going to live in trailer parks and not wanting to be their golden years there. They want, they imagine it was going to be on a beach, it was going to be on a mountain. They're going to hold their spouse's hand and age gracefully together. That's my goal, is to get you into you know, the dream scenario and versus the realistic scenario. CFP Chad Burton sitting here with me. Chad, one of the areas that uh, I like talking about is car wrecks. I mean, we all love sitting in the dentist's office hearing the drill and someone suffering, and we're only going in for cleaning. Um, <laughs> kind of. I, th- I think it's called... You just put car wreck in with dentist. Dread. <laughs> That's the same thing. Um, I think people... Get off on dread. I think it's something that, that works. Um, one of my favorite stories to tell is I've got a friend who's now she's in her mid thirties, but her dad basically lived in Fremont and uh, bought a house in the two thousands. Took some money out and bought another house. Took some money out, and bought another house. Took some money out and bought another house. And then the housing market crashed in two thousand six, and renters left and the places went empty and vacant and. He didn't have enough capital to write it out. Had he done it, he would have been okay. But he went into bankruptcy. Yep. And then his mom, and then her mom had a stroke. And uh, you know, she's kind of like this 200-pound woman that has to be pushed around and carted around and helped, you know, with everything from changing her clothes to getting out to a restaurant. Yeah. Um, that's one of my favorite stories to tell because it shows you like don't don't end up there. This guy worked his whole life. Got to his 60s and suddenly became this real estate mogul. I, just, I met somebody was, last night that was addicted to real estate. They came up and said, I have, I have no savings. I have no emergency reserves. I have 14 properties. I have just enough to basically eat. I work 10 hours a day. I can't stop. I need I need help to, to diversify. I just said, sell the ones that have the highest debt, the lowest positive cash flow. Use the money to pay down some of your other debts. So you have positive cash flow. And and I've told him that four other times. It's like you don't need to pay a financial advisor to tell you that. You just need to do it. Yeah. But he's he's specifically said he's addicted to real estate. Uh, it happens. How about some uh, people get addicted to day trading? And hopefully that lasts for a little period of time. Yeah. You know, the trading academies and the red light, green light, yellow light software companies that they come and go. Yep. Um, I'm okay with them because. You can separate a fool from his money. I just hope that fool learns his lesson and doesn't do it a second time. Yep. Uh, because we all have to, like, you know, there was a point in time where I'd watch my, my monitor 14, 15 years ago, and I'd be like, stock's down three. I'm going to pick it up here, and by the end of the day, if it rallies at the end of the day, I'll make, you know, $800. <laughs> or, what, you know, something ridiculous. And I'd put all this mental emotion into it, uh, and it just it, it saps you. And I'm like, I'm so glad I'm a f- far, far away from that. Yeah. Yep. So what are some of your worst client stories? I just gave you one of mine. <laughs> well, the um, one of the oddest trips I had was tracking down people in, in Salt Lake City, my first trip to Salt Lake City. That was interesting. If you've never been to Salt Lake City. I imagine the women have beards. <laughs> no, it's uh, it was it was a different... I mean, I was only 22 years old. Okay. And so the, the bank that my grandfather had worked with had a relationship with their their headquarters. 
um, on one of the banks he worked with was in Salt Lake City. So I had a bunch of these annuities that were like, you know, 4%. And at the time we had 6%, 7% guaranteed for 10 years. So I'm like, I'm going to go to Salt Lake. I'm going to find these people. I'm going to roll their accounts over and make them a lot of money. Right. And um, I tried to get a beer at the end of the day one night. Okay. In Salt Lake City. <laughs> and it was it was interesting. So, they make you sign something, right? Don't you have to like give your address or something? Yeah, if it's like a bar back then. I don't know if you still do now. I heard it's changed a little bit since the Olympics, but I haven't been back for a while. Um, I sat down and I went into a... Um, and what's the what's the uh, Wings place? Hooter, well, Hooters. Okay. I'm driving down the road. I'm like, there's a Hooters. I'm getting a beer. I love chicken wings. So, But I had already eaten, so I just sat down and I, all I wanted was a beer. So I sat down and ordered a beer. They gave me a beer. Like, what are you going to have to eat? And I'm like, oh, I'm not hungry. Thanks. No, you have to order something if you're going to drink here. Otherwise, we have to take away your beer. Like, all right. I'll take a side salad. No, it has to be a full meal. Wow. So I ended up with chicken wings and a salad that I didn't even eat and a beer. It was the most expensive beer I've ever had in my life. It was more expensive than a Vegas beer. So that was... You pay for beers in Vegas? There was a lot of interesting things that happened. A lady told me how they used to have... Um, she worked at Safeway, and they used to come in and audit the books to make sure everybody was giving the proper amount. Giving? Yeah, and she wasn't um, LDS. Okay. She still had to back in the 70s or so. So that was an interesting trip. The, the, the craziest client I ever had was a guy that was pretty wealthy... Um, and he used to tell me a story that he was a POW twice, oh, yeah. which doesn't even make sense in my world. But I, I later found his sister and said, yes, in fact, he was a POW twice. Right. So served the country. I guess he had gone a little bit nuts after he lost his wife, became a hermit. Probably served um, in this country too. Yeah. And he had, uh, the guy ended up, he was such a hoarder that he, one of his houses finally got condemned and torn down and he just moved into another one and, um, when I met the guy, I was actually tracking. I, be, I became a private investigator to find these these bank clients that my grandfather couldn't get a hold of. Okay. Um, I would go to people's houses and knock on their doors and say, "This is your account. This is what we can do." This guy had three, and we sat down at his porch. He was dressed in like uh, cut off shorts and a dirty shirt, but he was out there mowing his lawn with one of those push rotating things. Okay. Yeah. yeah. What are those even called? Uh, push, no motor, just, push mower. just a rotating blade. Um, that's how cheap this guy was. And uh, he's about to sign the papers like, wait, how do I know that this is the best deal out there? And I'm like, I will prove to you that this is the best possible rate that you can get. Um, I'll even take you to the banks, you know, where he had extra money that he was talking about investing. And we'll go in together and you can check their rates. And um, well, I picked him the next up the next day and he was wearing pretty much the same thing. And he smelt like he's a hoarder. Yeah. <laughs> you know what a hoarder smells like? And uh, forgot his teeth. Um I'll tell the whole story about he would stop and push his hernia in as we were walking down the road. But he was worth how much money? <laughs> oh, he's worth a couple million dollars. That's the point. Didn't even story. spend his social security. And there's some other crazy things with this guy. But well. You can find Chad Burton at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. Views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. 
irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in, we'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. Welcome in. Talking money and investing with CFP Chad Burton. Mr. Burton. Mr. Black. It's that time of year. It's that time of the season we all find so pleasing. Where next week at this time we're going to be eating. And then we're going to be eating and eating and eating and eating all through Christmas and the holidays. Um, we're having a smoked turkey this year. Have you ever had a smoked oh, turkey? Oh, yes. Oh, I can't wait. Um, you know what I did one year? What? This is kind of cute. Um, Oprah's got some her list of favorite things. You had Oprah over for Thanksgiving? <laughs> I, I cooked Oprah. Did she give you a new car or anything? No, I, I climbed <laughs> Oprah Mountain after breakfast. Uh, don't go there. Get fired. She, she's a big one. Um, <laughs> with that said, Oprah, um, she has her list of favorite things, and one of her favorite things is Greenberg smoked turkeys. Oh, okay. And this family in Texas has been smoking turkeys for 100 years, and they'll fly the turkey in an airplane first class to your house, and, you know, it's fresh and what have you. I, th- I thought it was god-awful. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm the only person who could complain. <laughs> is it like eating a bunch of beef jerky on a plate kind of thing? The turkey was like, it, uh, I it's hope it's not tasted like of, of smoke. It was a little aggressive mm. for me. Even so, the inside, huh? Yeah. Mm. Um, and when you touched... I like my jerky, though. When you touched it, your fingers smelled like cancer. I'm not sure what cancer smells like, but it's like cigarettes. Oh. Cancer smells like cigarettes. So smoked turkey makes me think of cigarettes, just so you know. <laughs> Invite me over. I, I, I won't be a buzzkill. One of the worst things I did was we deep fried a turkey once, yeah. and it was raining outside, so we kind of had it halfway inside the garage and halfway out. You know how an, the, the, yeah, yeah. your roof eave goes over it just yeah. so it wouldn't rain on it. Well, that corner of my garage got the grease kind of splattered out, and I slipped on that for months like i'd be walking out the garage forgetting where the turkey yeah. was and i tried to clean it with clr and everything and it just screwed up my garage floor so it took about two years to wear off and probably two bruises on my tailbone from hitting that grease and how, how, was the, how was the turkey though it was good but it wastes a lot of it you know it just doesn't seem as healthy i just i like the good old brine the turkey for you know 24 48 hours and a big bucket of ice and seasoning and do that have you ever done a beer butt what do you call the beer cans inside the turkey? No. Beer butt turkey? So you People load it, like to do that, too. You load it with, like, water? Or, or you, beer? It's a can it, of beer, but, I, you know, the aluminum can in the turkey, that can't be too healthy. That probably smells like cancer, too. And that steams it, right? I don't know. I think that's People like it, though. I haven't had one yet. Um, so there's one called Jive Turkey. You're making me hungry, though. I know. There's a website called Jive Turkey, and they'll do fried turkey for you, like, 50,000 different ways. Like in, that's right, Jack. <laughs> Mr. T's going to come over to my house on Thanksgiving. Who's coming to your house? Uh, the family's coming to the house. Got brother. I got just fresh brother off. Brother-in-law, their kids, my kids. Just fresh off the Star Wars set, I got a special guest coming to my Thanksgiving, too. Oh, yeah? Who's that? Chewbacca. He eats too much. Me and Chewbacca and Mr. T. 
I just wear my tidy whities sit on the couch all day <laughs> with my pals. And You're watch. eating pants on. You're eating pants. <laughs> it's called my napkin. Yep. <laughs> with that, this said, is the only. This is if you look at uh, a chart of jogging pants sales. This, this is the time of year when they go up. Got to get your eating pants. And if you have look at a chart of our our listeners right now, there's like one dropping off real quick. <laughs> With that is said, that investment theme behind yeah, the end of the year. Yeah. So what should we be doing with our portfolios? Are we thankful for this year on the stock market? Yes, absolutely. It was a pretty good year, huh? This has been an amazing run the last five years. How about that mid-period in October where literally for four days, I was like, this could be the start of a correction. No, we still didn't get there. I was hoping we, we would. I was yeah. hoping we would. Um, it was nice to see a little opportunity to get some you know, back into small caps. Um, it's a revenue issue, but I mean, even the revenue, I mean, you look at, um, facts set earnings insight. I don't know if you use that at all, but I, I talk about that quite a bit on, it's the best breakdown of what's going on in earnings and revenue has been better than expected. Um, if you take out consumer discretionary, we've had a pretty decent increase in revenue lately. Okay. Um, we're still having, you know, around a 4% increase in revenue, 7%, 7.2% increase in profits overall in this last quarter. And that's going to get better. With, uh, it low, is. Low I mean, you've got to have that revenue increase. And that's why, um, you know, it's interesting, too, in how these some of these smart beta ETFs that are really a managed approach to indexing, where they automatically go into the either, you know, more of a fundamentally weighted approach to indexing or revenue weighted approach or earnings weighted approach. Um, the idea of hedge funds and real active management in U.S. stocks is, you know, you don't, you don't need a lot of that. If you're an investor, and you're 20, 30, 40 years old, do portfolio layering. Start with broad-based indexes. Add some of these smart beta ETFs on top of that. Add some managed funds in the international and small cap side. But a lot of your U.S. large and mid-cap should be in index low-cost funds because there's such a great way to get broad exposure. And if anything's taught you in the last 10 years is that you don't need to try to time the market. If, if you do have that 20% correction, you should be trying to buy if uh, because the market has recovered twice now in the last decade. So Goldman Sachs just came out with their 10 big market stories that will dominate 2015. Mm-hmm. I love stories like this. Um, it's nice to look at them next year. At this yeah, time and I, I save all this stuff, and I send it to myself and uh, you know put it in my, what I refer to as the crazy commentary. But a broadening recovery is one of their themes for 2015. The U.S. will lead the global economic recovery. Growth in developing markets will be boosted by low oil and commodity prices. That's something that's happened recently. Oil's really fallen out of bed, and it helps world economies because things like gasoline and oil for factories, uh, we can make things cheaper, and we can drive to places cheaper, and we can fly to places cheaper. Um, yep. And that puts more money in the economy because you know when you pay for gas, it's gone. It just vaporizes. But when you have extra money left over... Oh, and it's, it's shown up. I mean, look at Target's report recently. And Walmart. Yep. Target, which is a company I own, finally got a nice pop because they've been suffering from their... Canadian screw-ups and and then the data breach and yeah. then they came out with some a pretty good earnings report. You know, I, I'm not against Target, but I'm for Costco. Like the two stores, just they have different inventory. Target has too much. I've just I've recently figured that out. If you go into a Target, they've got like 19 toothbrushes. If you go into Costco, they've got two. And I have those the the uh, oh what do you call them push button ones. The, yeah. I don't know what they're called. They're great. An electric toothbrush? The, 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 yeah, Chad toothbrush. Burton has Thank an you. electric toothbrush? Definitely. much Pete's coffee as I drink, I need it. <laughs> He's fancy. Of course, now i got to get some Phil's coffee today. Do you like Phil's? Oh, I love Phil's coffee. You like that mojito thing they make? I haven't had that yet. I've seen people get those, but I'm... 
my tolerance for sweet is really, really low. Okay. Like I can't eat sweet things in the morning. Um, I used to get eggnog lattes all the time this time of year. Yeah. Like I'd wait. November 1st came, and I'm once a day. Now I drink like a little short size of it, and I'm just done. I don't know. Could be cancer. Yeah, smells like eggnog lattes smell like cancer. No, as you no, as you get older, like um, your taste change, and it's like that's one of the first signs of like cancer. Oh, all right. So it's like when you can't do spicy foods or sweet foods. I'll find out. I got the big physical this week for um, big life insurance policy change that I got to do. So that's fun. Are you ready for it? No, because I ate a steak yesterday, and I forgot I was just going to eat fish for the next couple of days. Keep making sure the cholesterol is low. I'm with you. But I'm ready. Healthy. So we'll, Healthy we'll, otherwise. We'll talk about trends in 2015. We just hit one of them, obviously, a broadening recovery. The jobs market's pretty, uh, it's doing its thing in a positive way, but slowly. Yeah, Oregon just showed that they only have 5,500 jobs left to create until they're back to 2007 levels. Yeah, the U.S. hit that level already. So, which is interesting. And, but, the, you know, the, the, thought, the, the thought is the jobs aren't as good as they were well, it's, then. Well, it's the people that aren't looking anymore. So I'm talking about the number of jobs. Yeah. With that said, you can find CFP Chad Burton at newfocusfinancial.com. Need a portfolio review? Need to figure out if you're going to have enough to last till the day you die? Jump over to newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. Listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. So, myself and CFP Chad Burton are sitting around talking about what 2015, 2014 feels like and looks like going forward. One of the big themes is a broadening recovery in the United States. We feel pretty comfortable with that. But we also see some overseas weakness. This morning, we roll out of bed, different beds, um, <laughs> ru- running a bit behind. Good point. Running, get that in there. Well, I, I'm a storyteller. So running a little bit behind, and all I saw was uh, China lowering its one-year benchmark lending rate for the first time in two years by 40 basis points to 5.6%. And nothing screams market rally. Nothing screams, you know, this is good. Oof. Uh, like additional policy stimulus. So I, I I hate it and I love it. I hate it because we're doing it because there's some weakness. I love it because I'm exposed to investing. And it's been a very good five, six-year run because of the easy monetary policy. Thoughts on China? Well, it's another issue in terms of more of a strong dollar issue over the next couple of years. We have low interest rates overseas in Europe. We now have China cutting their interest rate. Uh, more reason for Chinese assets, Chinese you know people to buy American assets as the dollar's going up. Um, what they have to do is when you need to change currencies, you have to buy that other currency that pushes the dollar up. So the theme is going to be for multinational companies, it's been very attractive when the dollar was falling to be overseas because as you make profit in companies overseas and the dollar's falling, that currency buys more dollars. It's an extra profit. 
now it's kind of working against it. So where you wanted to be in more of the companies that had 60% plus profits overseas, it's yeah. kind of a reverse of that over the next couple of years. Either way, you still need to look for value. When China cuts interest rates, then five days after, basic materials and Big Macs do really well. Mm-hmm. So McDonald's, like you said, you know, there's some obvious plays from the, the weaker yep. currency play. Yeah, and where that's going to help? Small cap international. And that's a theme that I've been waiting for, you know, a while to pop. A lot of small cap companies um, overseas, very attractive, especially on the takeover targets for U.S. companies that have money sitting overseas. Yeah. So I'm, I think that that'll be a theme over the next couple of years as well. Um, and the U.S. is doing well. I mean, and I, I love that, you know, small and mid-cap companies, they're more volatile. But over a 10, 15, 20-year period, you tend to be rewarded for that risk. Over a, over a longer-term period for people that have that time frame, those are the asset classes that tend to give them some outperformance. So a lot of people, unfortunately, are chasing the large-cap returns versus small-cap, both here and overseas, emerging markets, mid-cap, things like that. So Goldman Sachs comes out with a list on top 10 things to expect next year, and one of them is the new oil order. And the commentary is lower oil prices, 5 to 10% deflation will linger and provide a boost for consumers' disposable income. But this will be a headwind for energy stocks and commodities like copper and aluminum. The disinflationary impulse from lower commodity prices sweeps across the world. It's likely to be manifested in lower headline inflation rates. So we're not going to see a lot of inflation, it looks like. And um, there's some areas we want to stay away from. Oil may not be sexy, but then again, you're going to start getting the best prices on some stocks in the oil patch as oil eventually stabilizes. When uh, that Kensho product was being talked about on CNBC yesterday, did you hear about this? Yeah. The, it's, it's basically big data, access to energy, uh, uh, information, answered questions in terms of relationships. And they talked about since the 90s, there's been like 16 times where oils declined 20%. And the majority of those times, oil stocks actually rallied in that next couple of months after it. Not rallied, but were actually positive. Um, so a lot of these oil companies are a little bit more diversified. For example, gas stations right now, I've heard are making a ton of money because as fast as oil prices fell, they don't decrease the gas prices as fast. So during that slow decrease in gas prices, they actually make a lot of money. So that's something to think about as well. But um, yeah, I don't think being super overweight in companies that are getting their oil from overseas or something like that is a great idea. And gas companies... Uh tend to do well with falling oil gasoline prices because people drive more. Mm-hmm. And so the volumes go up, but on top of that, when you go in for your gasoline and you pick up a muscle milk at 349 You called it. That's my traveling problem right there. <laughs> that's a, Muscle milk and Pete's coffee. That's it's all 100% markup <laughs> easy for the gas station. Oh, yeah. Um, lowflation is another theme in the fight against it. Lowflation being labor market slack, evidenced by low-wage inflation, persisting and dis- Disinflation risks will force other central banks to act. Uh, what do you think about the environment where we have just not a lot of wage growth? Well, that's the issue. I mean, we're, we're, everything that goes on at the economic level right now is having increasing the spreads between the haves and the have-nots. And making it, when, I, when I look at reports like that and, and when you have the threat of deflation just as much as a threat of inflation from all the printing of the money around the world, yeah. it's lack of wage inflation which means you better choose the right career and the right education. When I've got three kids to put through college, making sure that I'm maximizing 
that investment in their choices is really, really important because people, you know, send their kids to college and they don't know what they're doing for the first two years. And then they spend all this money and then they're at home sitting on the couch at age 25 with a degree that's pretty much worthless. An Xbox four. <laughs> Xbox four. Or Xbox one, PlayStation four. Yeah. Excuse my lack of knowledge there. I um, thought you were just thinking ahead to the Xbox four. <laughs> I guess I could. I'm not that thoughtful. No, you should see me play video games. It's pretty sad. I was trying to play um, Advanced Warfare with my son, and I, like, shoot the walls and the buildings. I'm running in circles. I keep changing the gun instead of shooting the gun. I'm yeah. so bad at video games. I got out of video games when you're playing these multi-level games, and a lot of people are running around shooting each other. Mm-hmm. And there'd be a kid who's, like, seven years old, eight years old, talking smack and running around with a knife and killing everyone. And here you have, like, a bazooka, and you can't catch him. Yeah. And he's just running around, running around, and he's like, I don't know, smack talk got to be too much for me. Um, the dollar bull market, another theme out there. The dollar's going to remain strong versus its G10 peers yeah. in most emerging markets. Just talked about that. Yeah. Um, so, and the idea there is like Japan's printing money. Mm-hmm. China's kind of printing money at right. this point in time. Europe is saying, we'll print money. If we see inflation, we'll still print money. They're, Europe seems to be a little behind the curve. Yeah, but they have a lot that they can do. Um, and ECB President Draghi actually had some comments on that um, while we were all sleeping or earlier today, I guess you can say. Um, he's talking about Eurozone inflation becoming increasingly challenging and that the central bank is ready to act fast and do more. So they can do more. They just have to agree on it. Germany has to be on board. They're slowing, though. Um, they have a lot of room. China, you know, talked about putting off their consumption tax where why does that, why do the Euro nation has like a 20% tax that they're dealing with. So there's a lot of room that they could do overseas. That's why some of the changes that we've made is actually implementing um, part of our international exposure is hedged on the dollar versus the Euro. It's actually pretty easy to do now versus some ETFs that are out there where mm-hmm. you can protect that currency. Because if you're making money overseas, but the dollar's rallying, it's kind of offsetting. So you got to hedge that currency risk. We'll talk a little bit more about that, because I don't think most of our listeners give a rat's poop about the euro deflating or the dollar strengthening. They care about how can I make money off of it, or yep. how can I, where can I not get screwed, or where can I get good exposure. So we'll talk about that. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. It's CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. It's newfocusfinancial.com. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm speaking with CFP Chad Burton about some of the trends that Goldman Sachs expects to play out in 2015. One that we kind of left off on, and I don't think we got a a satisfactory answer other than to say that Europe, China, and Japan are kind of doing exactly what the United States did in the last five years, and now we're trying to step out of it and maybe go the other direction, but... A lot of people don't believe that's going to happen, but weak currencies, why should people care? You know, I, I don't think the 20, 30, early 40-year-old should really care. Okay. I would go ahead and still invest overseas, have a decent exposure to emerging markets, and uh, let a good no-load fund manager pick the countries slash stocks to be in, because a lot of the companies in those areas 
that are depressed because of the economy there still selling a lot of things to the U.S. and other nations. So there's still gems that you can find. I don't. Um, I, I prefer kind of a managed approach, and we're doing some currency hedging with some ETFs out there, but that's because we're doing risk management for larger portfolios. Um, when you're younger and you're feeding your portfolio, yeah. it's, it's, not a, it's not that big of a deal. A weaker euro means I can go to Europe and get things cheaper to me. Right. But if like, I have a woo-hoo! decent year, you know, international exposure and I know the euro is likely going to fall, I'm going to hedge against that. And there's going to be a time when I need to pull that off. It's not a long-term deal. As soon as everybody's talking about it in the next two or three years, that's when the dollar trend will change. When everybody gets on board with it, and that's when it'll change. Another trend that Goldman Sachs is talking about is the Federal Reserve. And they say later, steeper, further, calmer. Fed's first rate hike will come in September 2015, and further increases will be faster than the market's priced in. A gradual normalization of the policy rates in line with an improving economy may lead to bouts of volatility in, uh, think of as 2004, the last time they tried to raise interest rates. Um, after 9-11, they lowered interest rates for a period of time that, in the end, was shorter than expected. Um, how do you think the market's going to handle interest rates? And You don't have to predict when you think it's going to happen because I think that's a fool's game. But I think the, I think the market's not going to like the change. Well, people also thought when the Fed finally announced the end of QE, just remember last quarter they were still buying $85 billion of bonds per month. Now there's not currency or people from overseas buying bonds. Rates are still extremely low, so the market reacted positively. Um, if it's very well communicated, which they've talked about, and the market says, okay, and we, it's funny how we talk about the market as if it's a person. But if if the market people, the market is a person, <laughs> it's annoying it's when irrational. I irrational. The market thinks like, this. Like my the market does that. Like my ex wife, very yeah, irrational. Very crazy. Um, <laughs> no comments on that one. The if it's well communicated, I mean, here's the deal: we we have Bernanke and Yellen, kind of the same type of people. One just talks a lot slower. Like he looks like a, he looked like a frog in suspenders. I can't listen to Janet Yellen. I can only read what she says. It's I cannot handle her actually I'm thinking uh, who's the person I'm used to listening to you you talk a million miles an hour and when it yeah. takes somebody 10 minutes to finish one sentence it's like ugh who is the person before Bernanke Greenspan Greenspan, Greenspan looked like a frog in suspenders <laughs> Janet Yellen looks like the Pillsbury Dough woman no, you could do kind of a weird Disney play with all of the past Fed presidents <laughs> or Ben Bernanke Greenspan was like Humpty Dumpty fell on a wall the credit crisis came about like, it's anyway. interesting. Greenspan now is he's trash talking the whole the Fed can't really do much, and he was the like the kingpin of trying to do too much. Right. He. I mean, he was a good part. If you, I mean, Greenspan and uh, oh, who's the senator? I don't like uh, the guy that Harry Reid. No, no, no. Barney Frank. Barney Frank. Uh, oh, I had to refrain from going to a large conference last year because I found out that Barney Frank was talking at the conference, and I yeah. I would have gotten up and I would have. If he would have started talking about the credit crisis and what he's doing to solve it and how, I'm like, you are, you can point your finger directly to some of his acts yeah. on pushing banks to lend in certain areas to people Subprime. that shouldn't have got loans, yeah. uh, dating somebody at uh, Fannie. Uh, it, you know, it's just uh, bad politics. The guy's a scumbag. Um, one of the things he did, and Chad's mentioning, is that Barney Frank's pretty famous for pushing legislation that forced banks to lend money to low-income scenarios. And I take out a loan for, you know, $600,000, $700,000, Chad, and it's, it's something I seriously think about. And, it, you know, 
I'm not going to say it keeps me up at night, but I, it's something that, you know, there's a ramification in my head, like, wow, this is a lot of money. Yeah. And we were loaning out money in the credit crisis, housing crisis, to people who were liars. They, you know, to get a $600,000 loan, you need a good salary. And we created liar loans that poor people can get lots of money given to them so they can participate in the American dream and refinance in two years. Yep. Um, through Fannie Mae. And that's, and that's not happening at all, really, anymore. The the issue is that we have some history to look at. First of all, we have what Japan is doing, and um, just look at what happened. They raised the consumption tax. They fell back at a recession. Yeah. They're putting that off. Um, they're, they're aging population. It's kind of like watching what's happening in the U.S. Um, in 10 years you can, is what Japan is going through. Well, the problem there is is that they're actually losing population. We're actually gaining population. Mm-hmm. That's why they're trying to open up the borders and get people back in. Okay. Uh, but they have the same problem in terms of younger people wanting to stay at home. They're, a 30-year-old is just as happy living with their parents in Japan right now yeah. and saving money and buying a bunch of technology. Dressing really nice. It's, what do they call them? Single parasites, I think it is. But the, the big thing about um, raising interest rates is that the Fed can be very, very conscious of is that once we got through the Great Depression, because in 37, that's the year the market declined 35%. That was back up 30%. The economy was on the road to recovery. And then the feds tightened too soon. Okay. That threw the country back into recession, and that was the first three-year, negative three-year period that the stock market had. So um, the problem is, is the Fed is almost tied too much to how the stock market is reacting versus doing the right thing. But it's not going to come from the Fed to do the right thing. It's going to come from fiscal um, fiscal policy, which is what we're seriously lacking, and we're not going to get for the next two years. Yeah. So it looks like for the next two years, we're going to have, you know, a accommodative Fed and a Congress that can't get anything done. Well said. And maybe that's, maybe they'll start getting stuff done. Yep. So if Obama's going to leave any legacy, he's going to have to compromise. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> how about China's bumpy downshift continues? That's another Goldman Sachs trend for 2015. Are you at all worried that, see, the thing that worries me about China is, they're a fake government. <laughs> They're a fake economy. <laughs> Their government's like, ah, unemployment's at 1%. And it's like, no, it's not. <laughs> Come on, China. Be it's honest. Real. It's real. Um, they're, they've got a real estate problem. They've got loan we problems. We have no ghost towns. <laughs> they have no cockroaches, and yet they're littered with cockroaches. The Chinese restaurant in my hometown just shut down. That's a bad sign for China. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's totally tied together. On Yelp, someone said uh, Henry's Garden went down because of gambling issues. I'm like, I love Yelp because you're basically guilty. And it, it, maniacs can c- accuse you of anything. You're basically. Have you ever done a, a review on Yelp? No. I, neither I've, have I. I've looked at it, but then I'm like, okay, I'm looking at these reviews, and I've never written a review, so I don't know. I don't get it. So 14 years ago, I was dating this really attractive woman, and uh, she says, "Come on by. Um, I'm gonna stop by a friend's place." And I did, and it was Jeremy Stompelman who founded Yelp, and he told me about his business. I'm like, it'll never work. No one will ever take that seriously. <laughs> I was so wrong. I was just trying to impress her. Like, so you hammered the guy in person? In, oh no, 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 date? no, no! I didn't. I didn't want her to leave me for him. Oh, oh got it. Got and it. yeah, I just had some competitive. Like, I'm, I'm, like, I'm TV. I'm money. I'm Rob Black. I'm kind of a big deal. That People insecurity know me. makes you good on radio. <laughs> it does. So, um, so yeah. What was the point about Yelp? You, you do reviews. Uh, Yelp is bringing down China, I think, is your point. No, Chinese restaurant, uh, Henry's restaurant. No, the power of like how guilty you are. 
Right. You're guilty now on the internet until proven innocent. Kids still don't get that. Yeah. And that's the odd thing about the social media and the narcissism of that. Do you have your kids? What's with if 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 your daughter's taking selfies more than one selfie a month? Yeah. You probably have a problem. Does your daughter take more than one selfie a month? No, she doesn't have any social media outlet at all. So. Good. She's um, ten. Why would she be on Facebook? Come on. You know what I love about that selfie commentary? Is that Apple's new phones, the low-end versions, they don't have enough. They, they made their camera bigger, so the camera takes bigger shots, which use more storage. Right. So they're really they're getting people to buy higher-end phones because of the vanity of selfies. And I own shares of Apple, and I couldn't be happier about it that people are so vain. Yeah, because it's almost like, a, oh, I'll get the cheaper 6, and then in 6 months they're going to get the more expensive 6. Or they'll get cloud storage, and Apple wins either way. Right. So, and I think those screens break on purpose. <laughs> they have a mechanism. In, I think in Tim, Tim Cook at any point in time could flip a switch and have like four or five phones break tonight. Wow, that's genius. <laughs> it is genius. What, what is the business plan? The business plan is uh, uh, the the South Park one. Yeah. <laughs> it ends with cash out, bro down. I know that. So start, start, start up. No, no, no. That's, that's, the, no, that's the underwear <laughs> That's the underwear gnomes, yeah. Start up, cash in, bro down. We could turn the homeless into tires so that we'd still have homeless, but we could use them on our cars. I love the social commentary on those guys. Uh, I can't believe that's run so long. It's a cash cow for Comedy Central. Yeah. Just imagine yourself sitting What would they do without Tosh.0 in in South Park? Um, John Stewart. Okay, there you go. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, John. Um, There's the... Colbert. Colbert. Is he leaving? He's leaving, but they've already got his replacement penciled in. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a cash generating machine and they don't pay their people well. So um, They've got some uh, female comedian, Amy Schumer. She's doing real well. She is. If so, you ever have a chance to see Tosh live, he's a great stand-up. And he always brings really good comics with him. He uh, skewered you. reminds me of you. Thank you. Yeah. I'll take that as a compliment. Have you ever noticed he stands in a curve? He leans backwards when he talks. Yeah. Which is very odd. So, like, his whole chest is leaning backwards, and his legs are straight well, forward. You kind of slouch a little bit of that, too. No, he goes the other way. He conca- he's, yeah. he's convexing while I'm concaving. Anyway, with that said, uh, you can find me online at robblack.com. You can find CFP Chad Burton at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW on the iHeartRadio app. House Republicans have sued the Obama administration today over its implementation of the President Barack Obama's health care law, saying he had overstepped his legal authority and carried out the program. That's not even funny. Accuses him of illegally making $175 billion in payments to insurance companies from a federal account that is not authorized for the purpose. 
I'm opposed. I'd get rid of it. The House authorized lawsuit and near party line vote in July as congressional reelection campaigns were heating up. Democrats said Obama had acted illegally and said that the GOP measure was a political stunt aimed at motivating conservatives to vote and distracting them from calls by some to go even further and impeach the president. I appreciate that. It's a good time, Thomas CFP Chadbert. Love the gridlock. The gridlock. So much fun. You, you know, I used to love gridlock. You and I used to talk about that. I, you know, I don't care. I'm voting for gridlock, right? right? Now it's gotten to the point where it's just ridiculous. His band-aids get put on stuff. It just doesn't work. It's all about getting reelected. The only way you get people to give you money is to appeal to the, the far left or the far right. And uh, it's just bad politics. So they're not there to serve the people. They're there to get reelected. And uh, You know what I wish we could do? We have um, – you get your Social Security statements at uh, – yeah. you you, now you're going to get them every five years. The government spent like $7 million to create my Social Security at, uh, website yeah. at ssa.gov where you can log in to get your social security information for benefits at a later age. Why can't we have it so people can log in and verify their identity there and vote online? Nobody's voting anymore. Because some poor people don't have internet. <laughs> Bull. <laughs> there's libraries. There's uh, free phones in certain areas and free internet uh, at a coffee shop. So, bull. More people vote for American Idol. Then they vote in the U.S. Elections. I know. It's, it's really, really sad. With that said, uh, just rounding up Goldman Sachs' top 10 trends for 2015. More relief for emerging markets, but also mo- more polarization. Saying many emerging markets will improve imbalances with lower oil and commodity prices, providing disinflation boost in growth. Um, countries like Turkey, where inflation is likely to decelerate sharply, intermediate maturity bonds in Israel and Hungary and Romania where lowflation will likely persist for longer. We do have it pretty lucky living in the United States. We do. But that's uh, international bonds that hedge against currency have been doing well in the last four to six months, and I think we'll do well next year. Any thoughts on uh, you know, the poverty of the world? Um, Cause you see don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> you see situations like Brazil that it's just an incredibly poor nation from the infrastructure of the roads and the schools. What's interesting to me is that on developing nations, you tend to have what happens is a big you know, spread between the haves and the have-nots, and then a middle class, a middle class emerges, like in China. Um, and then it, now, when you look at the U.S., it tends to be going the other way. The spread happens again, and the middle class starts to go away. Yeah. Any other thoughts on uh, 2015? Stay invested. Lower returns, you think? You know, it's really... The stories always seem like it's the same storyline. Different countries, it's Ebola, it's SARS, it's MERS, it's whatever. These stories come and go. And the the key is if you look at people that are wealthy, they start good businesses, they save regularly, they invest in positive cash flow real estate over time, they don't turn around and try to flip houses and go to seminars to do that. Um, Don't get too caught up in the day-to-day market news, the day-to-day market numbers. I manage... You know, close to $300 million. And there's days where if you ask me at noon, I don't know what the market's actually doing that day. It's not a day-to-day deal. Yeah. You make investments for three to five-year periods, and you keep an eye on those themes. If you buy a company for a certain reason, and let's say it's for dividend increases, and they happen to cut a dividend or not meet an increase, you sell them. You have very strict strategies. You take the emotion out of investing. 
Um, but younger people that are listening, it's save as much as you possibly can. Nobody's going to take care of you. You're on your own. It takes me off when I see people that are, they you know, say they're broke, they haven't saved anything for retirement, but they're out smoking cigarettes and driving a super nice car. Yeah. And yet we're going to have to take care of those those decision makers. I don't know. I'm going to have to. I'm going to get a ranch. I'm moving to Ecuador with my dad. Have you ever thought about living overseas in retirement? You know, I don't know. I haven't traveled much because I've been doing this since I was 18. So, Ecuador's dirty. No, not where they live. Cuenca's beautiful. Dogs have fleas and their fleas have fleas. Yeah, that's true. So just throwing it out there for you. Yeah. You ever have bed But bugs? they're good eating. <laughs> the dogs? They, um, what is it? Is it hamsters or something else that is a guinea pig? That's what they eat a lot of in Ecuador. Your dad? No, they actually tried it once and just couldn't, couldn't, couldn't do it. Yeah. I think the crazy. I haven't. I think I've eaten some brains and things like that, but I don't think I've eaten anything, you know, crazy. That's a pretty crazy. If you, I'm gonna call you Hannibal. You ate some brains. Yeah. What if? Anyway, <laughs> got anything else for us? Uh, you, got, no. you got a question card in front of you. Not worth looking at. Oh, these from last night. Um, let's see. What did we talk about? Okay, this is from Catherine. We'll retire next November, currently on disability and income is low. And income is at a low tax bracket. Want to convert an IRA to a Roth? Assume next year, same income. How much can I convert but still a state of 15% tax bracket? This is a perfect time of year. Go sit down with your CPA. Um, if you're close to retirement or in retirement and you're before age 70 and a half, it's this key area where you look at your tax bracket. If you have room left at the 15% bracket, in other words, if your taxable income is $60,000 and you're married filing jointly, you have another 14000 or so that you can pull out of your IRAs and convert to a Roth and still stay at that 15% bracket. So go meet with your tax advisors now, not after the first of the year, right now. CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. You can hear me 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. on the Drive Time Show, Rob Black and Your Money. We'll take a break here. We'll talk soon. It's a Views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision.